0: Hey guys and welcome back to another episode of the Mind Yourself podcast in association with Motus Learning. It's myself and Christy back uh, again for our next uh, edition of the sports and psychology uh, series of the podcast where we're investigating different areas of sports psychology and the important role that psychology plays in both sports performance and the kind of pros and cons of sport when it comes to our mental health. So, um, last week we kind of covered, or the last time we were talking, we covered uh, a couple of the key characteristics that um, drive an elite athlete, and as we said on the last podcast, we wanted to kind of go into more depth and more detail on a few specific areas that we think are the kind of key um, psychological characteristics of high-performing athletes. So, this week we're going to be focusing on goal setting, and with that, um, habits and routine, and you know how they play an important role in sports performance. So, I think, Christy, to kick things off, I want to just get your kind of uh, high-level view on the importance of goal-setting and habits, you know, for sports athletes and for people in general, I suppose.
1: Thanks for saying Um, (laughs) high-level. Okay, so um, I was sceptical about this topic uh, when we first discussed it because I feel that it falls a lot into self-help land, uh, which I am often afraid to speak about, um, I've read quite a few of these self-help books, but I generally check the qualifications of an author, not because I'm a snob, but because it takes years and years of research or a PhD to fully understand the literature, what basically, what the overall research is saying. Um, it's not something that you can just paraphrase. And so when someone with a business background or an influencer writes a self help book, They're judging their claims off their experience and also what they have read, which is fine. But because something works for them does not mean it's going to work for everybody. And what they have read is more likely to be a reinterpretation of information from another non-expert, which is regurgitated information from another non-expert. And then what essentially happens is you end up playing a game of Chinese whispers. And I think that's a bit of an issue um Mm -hmm. what is your opinion on on um on self-help books
0: yeah so so as someone who's the represents the layman the non-academic side i suppose um i think what's interesting is and obviously we were having a bit of a conversation about this off uh you know offline before we came on to record um and obviously i was saying how i'm about to start uh suppose you know on the face of it could be a self-help book it's about uh, about habits called the power of habit by Charles uh, Duhigg and I think yeah that and you made the point and I think that's something that I've learned to kind of be a bit more cautious about because I think coming from a more business background and a less academic focused background um, a lot of my uh, influence and a lot of the maybe the people that I you know follow in the business world reference self-help books and reference these kind of more kind of like less researched back books um as you know real key drivers in how well they've performed in their in in their careers. And I think I've probably come to a, a position, probably through working with you and um, you know, since we've started motors to be a, a lot more cautious about the information that I'm reading. So obviously in the case of this power of habit book uh I haven't actually read it yet, so I'll be able to kind of, you know, share more information if it is valuable, and if there is kind of research or academic um, backing to it that make it kind of relevant and worth reading, and if it is, we can share it with the listeners at a later date, but I think, yeah, I think I've become a lot more cautious about the information that I'm um, consuming, and I think I've learned, um, particularly in the online world where there's just swaths of information that like you you know it's very hard to dis- differentiate between good and bad and legitimate information that have gone to realize the importance of that critical analysis that we have spoken about in previous podcasts how it's made me think a lot more about um, these topics and I think that's why I, I was very interested to kind of have these kind of more kind of broader conversation about the sports psychology world because we've referenced how it is a little bit more or comes across a little bit more self-helpy and maybe less uh, academic driven. And so that's why I'm I'm very interested to get your side of things and see if we can unpick some sort of actual, um, you know, evidence and objective uh, scientific evidence that some of this stuff works and habits is a big one.
1: This goes back to what we were recently speaking about as well. Um, We had a situation where, um, even though we have a lot of psychology graduates with us on our team, A lot of them psychology graduates are often not comfortable speaking about topics that they might have studied. Um, And this is a phenomenon known as the Dunning-Kruger effect, where what happens is when somebody starts studying something of interest or they start maybe um, a course or looking at the research, they soon realize that they actually know nothing about the topic when before that they think they would have known a lot. So it goes from thinking, you know, a topic well, to being interested in it, to then studying it and then feeling like, you know, nothing. And that's why there's a lack of academics in the social sphere. While you'll then have influencers giving loads and loads and millions of people advice is because it's almost an unconscious ignorance that it's not that they are aware that they have a lack of information about something and then they're telling everyone it's that they don't have an awareness of that because they haven't looked at the literature and i think that's quite dangerous at times um even though people aren't aware of it so um yeah this is a longer conversation i suppose but i'm just explaining why self-help often happens i'm not targeting self-help authors i think they're trying to do a good thing and sometimes the advice that they give can be excellent but i think it can be dangerous at a time so uh stuff like building habits is definitely in a different field to let's say dealing with mental illness but Mm. where it does fit in is business and sport and maybe mental health with an asterisk the reason being is that i think increased productivity might help in certain situations but not in others and you can't replicate another person's mental health and they just live two different lives yeah but what you can replicate is successful business leaders and also successful athletes, and so now this goes without saying that science does come into this. That's why there's sports psychology. That's why there's organizational psychology. There does seem to be a consistency between the greats in sport, and I think that they close tie they tie closely, sorry, to what these self-help books say. um That's why most motivational speakers, for example, are ex-athletes or ex-business people. There is definitely a use for them, but. In the field of mental illness, again, I know I'm kind of going off topic. I don't yeah. think it's relevant. Does okay, does that make sense? On
0: yeah, I think uh, I i it's funny because I even like when we were kind of th- you know in preparation for this episode, I was having a bit of a think of where the crossover could be, and I know um, it, it, you know, as you said, it's 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 a long shot, if any, to say that there is some sort of crossover between the benefits of goals and uh, goal setting and habits for mental illness you know versus sports performance I was curious obviously you know a big part of it and you know maybe this will come up as we, if we go through this conversation but a big part of obviously goal setting and habits are around dealing with pressure and being able to perform under pressure when there's uncertainty or unexpected you know things that happen in business or in sport and I'm wondering if someone who does suffer from anxiety or you know in some cases has kind of like you know a more anxious kind of you know characteristics or personality and um, and in that case probably fall more in the mental illness side of things is the benefit of being able to maintain routine and consistency and predictability and um, so that when there are certain kind of unexpected events that come up that can you know maybe spike your anxiety and um, you can better deal with it is, is that maybe one area where it can cross over
1: so there's an area of the brain that's been found to be associated with routine. So the brain enjoys routine. The brain doesn't want to be consciously having to think about everything or completely on edge that actually could be related to anxiety. Hmm. Um, and like the perfect example, I suppose it's so long ago now, but when COVID first started, this was a common issue. That's why there were so many mental health issues was that there was a complete lack of routine. Um, For example, when schools closed, children had a lack of routine uh, working from home. And I think that caused a lot of anxiety or some sort of mental health issues. So, Mm -hmm. yes, answering your question, I I do think that routine does play a role. Like the brain enjoys predictability. Now, I think it is a learning uh, a lesson, sorry, that you have to learn over time is that you can't have complete predictability that just can't happen. Um, And if you fall way into routine, I think that's an issue too. You need to um, kind of find find a balance between the two of them. Mm. But um, yeah, answering your question, I do think like getting routine, getting habits, um, particularly now we're speaking about this in January where it's new year, new me, is a big thing. Um, I think like it is definitely important but it's again like most things in psychology it's not about having it or not having it. it's about having a balance essentially
0: Mm. Mm. and i think that's definitely going to be something i think we've acknowledged it in our first conversation the last time but throughout this investigative process uh, regarding sports and psychology uh, i think there's going to be a lot of instances where we say look It has some sort of a crossover to mental illness, but again, as we would have seen with some of our uh, conversations uh, with some of the sports psychologists, a big uh, point they reference is the lack of um, academic research and academic qualifications regarding, you know, sports psychology, and therefore there are a lot of areas that benefit sports athletes that hasn't got the breadth of research compared to other areas of psychology to give it um, that. significant evidence-backed approach and so there is it that always going to be that little bit of a self-help element to some of these things
1: yeah so um so that's actually what i'm going to run through today would you believe as opposed to generally going through academic journals and stuff um it is actually the self-help books okay
0: um, that's at, a new one uh, for you
1: no but what i'm going to do i want to clarify is i'm basically going to run through commonalities that i find in every single self-help book um so on you're more than entitled to give your opinion on this as well because i think these are the things that always come up they're just framed in different ways and Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same shit essentially okay um so again i'm going to start with uh with the prerequisite that I've read a good few of these books like uh, The Art of Not Giving a Fuck, Atomic Habits, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Good Vibes, Good Lives, uh, Solve for Happy. So I've read a few of them Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to do my best to summarize them, but I'm going to summarize them in the framework of social emotional learning because that's the one I understand the best. Just remind people, social emotional learning involves uh, education on five things, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness or empathy relationship management and responsible decision making okay so this is how i would like people to see self-help books in that context
0: and do you think before we go into them before we go into them, sorry do you think any of these based on you know the little bits that you've read of, of maybe some of them do you think any of these do a better job of actually at least putting some form of research or evidence behind what they're saying or are they all kind of of the same kind of bracket when it comes to that no,
1: <laughs> to okay. me to me but i'm biased yeah. again like, okay, I, yeah. I, I should continuously say that i'm biased against self-help books generally yeah, fair. but i do like i'm normally halfway through a self-help book and i'm just like this is literally saying the same thing as the last one i read mm. um that's a constant uh consistent theme in these so again yes i am biased but um again you can correct me if you haven't seen any of these come up or if you have and uh they're just said in a different way cool so um the first one is um always topic always comes up in self-help books is knowing your strengths and your weaknesses you need to know yourself to place yourself in the correct environment so in relation to sports it might be asking you questions like should you be playing individual or team sports what specific sport should you be playing are you a back are you a forward And then this also ties in with the personality stuff that we spoke about in our last podcast. Mm -hmm. And then these books generally finish by saying something like you need to practice trial and error to understand where you fit in. And in that context, quantity is better than quality. You need to constantly put yourself out there and try new things, essentially. Okay. okay. Would you agree? you probably read that in a self help book. Before.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, quantity over quality. I suppose that comes down to I don't know, is that connected to that whole ten thousand hour rule they say to become an expert at anything? That it takes routine and consistency, um, and habits essentially to actually achieve excellence at any kind of a topic, and there's that ten thousand, you know, that arbitrary number that they say it's ten thousand hours to be an expert at something. I suppose that has some connection to it. Mm-hmm.
1: So to summarize, this is basically self-awareness, getting to know yourself better basically by continuously practicing, practicing, practicing essentially. Yeah. The next one then is surround yourself with the right people, get rid of toxic people and always try to find win-win situations with anyone you meet. Uh, Try to benefit them and they'll try to benefit you. This is basically social awareness and relationship management. So that's two of the uh, SEL concepts (coughs) kicked off there yeah i'm not going to go into detail the ones that aren't overly related to sport um the next is then different paraphrases of the importance of thinking which is just a reinterpretation of cbt um i've often seen I getting your good wolf so you have a good wolf and a bad wolf you want to listen to the good wolf which is essentially um helpful thoughts unhelpful i
0: haven't heard of that one it's funny how yeah sorry to cut across you but what's interesting is there is how as you said some of these things are concepts that are branched off key psychological techniques and tips just framed in a different way shall we say maybe in a less academic type of way
1: but it, like even like key concepts in psychology the clinical psychology clinical psychologists use are then termed off like it goes back to like ancient Greece for example or like Buddhism um Mm. like mindfulness for example is something that's Buddhist it's not new it's been around for thousands and thousands of years um but again and this is what I'm saying about the whole self-help world that sometimes this is where it's helpful they package it in it's like branding they practice they package it in a pretty box yeah so they uh they help you understand something by framing it in a way that maybe you've experienced in the past or that's specifically relevant to you yeah and so in that text, it's helpful again like yeah. i'm not slating uh self-help books and i also want to say that it's all paraphrasing different uh like older techniques or actual scientific techniques but sometimes they don't even know they're doing it You know, it's Mm. just that it's just basically accidental, like they've experienced this in their life and they think it's profound that nobody else has experienced this or nobody has ever put the words into it because they haven't been exposed to the literature. And then that's what happens as a result. Um, But sorry, going back. um, Yeah. So this like CBT, good wolf, bad wolf essentially goes back to if you think you can succeed in difficult situations, then you're going to beat the people. Who don't think they can succeed, and yep. so having a strong mindset basically leads to uh, more success and more happiness in life. This mm-hmm. is self-management in the social-emotional learning world, and then the final one. Um, so I've covered them in a few sentences. Yeah, I think just to save you reading thousands of self-help books. And the final one then is the concept of making right decisions every day uh, to every want to be. So this, of course, is the SEL version of responsible decision-making. And this is where organization, being proactive rather than reactive, routines and habits, uh, we're going to talk about now, all come in. Um, And so where I want to start with this, and I think this is the most common that most books reference again, but they might not actually directly reference it, is SMART goals. Have you heard Mm of them before?
0: SMART goals, you know them for business, is a big one.
1: Yeah, so SMART goals is basically specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. So yeah. um, this bases off, um, first thing is always, I, I do, again, I do agree with a lot of this. So for example, make it, so with this specific, you need to make a to-do list. It's always yeah. there to making it, you need to write down what you want. Um, so making a to-do list either the night before for the day ahead or else in the morning start with what's most difficult if you're somebody who works better in the morning this goes back to the self-awareness thing and then do easier tasks in between because productivity is never just straight up it goes up and down and so you need small breaks and so you can break up those breaks by doing easier jobs to be more productive and um write down the stuff that you don't know how to do for example Um, yeah like if you don't understand it because you need to be more specific, you need to break that up into smaller uh, achievable goals then essentially. Yeah. So that's the specific aspect. Measurable, it's then tied to it. It's, it's, you need to write down everything. You need to measure how you're performing at something. You need to review it constantly. How can you improve? How can you make it better? Um, That makes you more likely to stick with it. Um, The achievable then is uh, achievable and realistic. I always find difficult to differentiate between So achievable is basically baby steps lead to bigger steps and consistency is key. So Mm -hmm. it's like progress, progress, progress. You need to make it easy in order when you're first starting and then over time, you can start making it more difficult. This goes back to the law of least effort. So for example, doing 100 push-ups a day involves a lot of effort. So it's difficult, but doing one on the first day, that's easy. Then two on the second day, then three on the third day, and then so on until you get to 100.
0: Interesting. It's what they call in... uh, Yeah, I've heard... They call it... What do they call it in... Yeah, so like when you're working out in the gym, they'd refer to that as a progressive overload. Anyone who is in sport or is into fitness would know that progressive overload... Progressive overload is the concept around like, yeah, you start in with a lightweight, get your technique right, then slowly but surely increase the weight over time or increase the number of reps you do over time, which... In turn, builds strength and builds athleticism over just trying to lift the heaviest weight in the room straight away. Exactly,
1: um, and then yeah, this goes to one psychological term I can bring in here is the zone proximal development. So I think this is where you know you've heard the phrase when somebody's in the zone. Yeah, I think I think that's where this comes from. Okay. So this is actually from developmental psychology. I think it's Piaget. I hope. okay um <laughs> this idea it's this idea of scaffolding so when a child is unable to do learn stuff and do stuff independently what you need to do as a parent or as a teacher is you need to provide a scaffold essentially so mo- uh, the, the most optimum learning occurs between the gap between letting the child do it and you helping um with a task that the child can't do and it's the gap between the two between those two things is basically where the most learning is going to occur Does that make sense yep and, um that is known as the zone of proximal development that's where in the flow in the zone comes from and that also relates to flow um and so that's what you want to set your goals as basically is the gap between that um that's a bit too difficult for you but also still achievable so it's difficult but achievable
0: so you want to feel like you're you want to feel like you're being challenged but not feel like it's impossible like you feel like you can get better but not feel like it's too easy
1: yes exactly okay and that's where you learn more and that's also um i think sports psychology shows that's when you enjoy it the most as well if something's too easy it's not fun um, yeah so, like, going out and hammering the team 10-0 is not enjoyable. But if you win a match that was extremely close 2-1, you'll get far more satisfaction from it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've heard that in sport is a big one.
1: Yeah. Um. And then the final thing that is timely. And, again, you need to set a deadline for everything. Um. You can't just say, oh, I'll do 100 push-ups full stop. You need to be like, I need to be able to do 100 push-ups by – two months or by a month or by three weeks for example um so yeah so smart like smart's not a bad thing it's used it's it's in organizational psychology literature it's not um nothing against it it's just again i think it's very very basic but it's a start
0: i feel like it's the i was gonna say just on smart it's like at least me it's i almost get Shivers down my spine when I hear someone mention smart because I feel like it's one of the most, I don't know, is it overused, but broadly used concepts. I mean, I've seen it with sports managers. I've had it when people are planning marketing campaigns and I was in college. I've heard business leaders talk about it. It probably is like literally like the go to make it sound like there's some sort of thought behind, you know, the goal setting or the process that you're following. Yeah.
1: But I suppose the problem is you have coaches and you have business managers coming in thinking people don't know this. Yeah. Again, it goes back to this problem. of It's probably in every single self-help book. Um, Like it's not new information to a lot of people. Um, Yeah. Like when we were, when we were designing our uh, corporate program for um, not for parenting mental health, but for like improving employee mental health, yeah. like stuff like that is kind of like the filler things um and like this is for advice to anybody who might want to go into corporates talking about mental health aspects like don't go in talking about smart goals because <laughs> everyone knows, knows that. it it's kind of the goal too yeah and that's because of the self-help world i feel like you know self-help yeah. world has kind of basically spotlighted that a bit too much that everybody knows it so it's an mm. issue um And then, yeah, um, the final thing then on these self-help books that I want to point out is, um, and this is definitely true, but again, I just feel like it's so overused, is that it's not about the goal achieved, it's about the process. Um, So you want to create a process and set, um, because if you set a goal and then you achieve it, you're asking yourself what you do next. So uh, there is no end state. And so in order to overcome that, you have to start enjoying the process. Yeah, um, which I can kind of even hate saying.
0: I mean, that's like, I mean, that almost feels like, and I don't know if it is, but it almost feels like it, it's a quote from like one of the Rocky movies where it's like, it's not about the actual result, it's about the process getting there, kind of thing. You know, it's just one of those kind of generic, generic fucking statements.
1: Yeah, and I just want to emphasize again, these are all good tips. Um, what I mentioned, I'm not disagreeing with them, but what I am saying is that I came across so many people that are often buying, constantly buying these self-help books again and again and again. But and they're all they the don't same. Implement the books are saying. The reason why that is is because there's a difference between having information and implementing it, you know? Mm. Um, and so what seems to be happening in this generation is that the self-help book has ironically become a distraction to prevent people from implementing change. And that's an issue. Um, Another thing, actually, I won't talk about now, but another thing we can actually do in a later podcast as well Owen, is discussing um, health psychology um, is tied to this idea of behavior change. Basically, how can we make like the general public or a society change their behavior, which I think does tie into routine self-help um, habits, goal setting, all that stuff. Um, I don't know enough about it yet, but that just entered my head now. Um, yeah, and then, sorry, I just want to go back over as well, like from my perspective, again, I think I've given a simplified version of the self-help book, but yeah, going back to the social-emotional learning framework that I mentioned before, I think the self-awareness aspect ties into thoughts. Thoughts are everything. You change how you think, that will yeah. lead to you changing how you behave you change how you behave over time that's how you develop habits and then your habits then lead to you changing your lifestyle essentially i think that's the most important thing um so yeah again like i'm regurgitating the self-help stuff but thinking is so powerful more powerful than you think it is and i think uh, people need to be aware of that Mm -hmm. um yeah so just reframe and change how you think about different stuff so for example let's say oh when you have to go to the gym in the morning you, know, you you have to go for a run in the morning you don't do if you yeah. change you think about that situation looking at it maybe as an opportunity to do something that other people can't for example not everybody can run when you look mm. at things differently um that's okay. like gratitude as well but um that changes how you behave and then over time then behaviors then become habits habits become yeah
0: outdoors, basically. and um so these self-help books are really are the self-help tips are more so frameworks to structure our thinking that can ultimately lead us to better adopting habits and then, as you said becoming uh improving our own lifestyles basically
1: yes but um frameworks are all they are. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you need to be careful with that because again, you can read 500 frameworks, but if you don't actually apply one, then it's essentially use useless. Mm-hmm. Um, I think minor tips as well that come to my mind as well is if somebody is trying to get into routine, I think having a friend to commit to something makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose <coughs> in relationship management, like for example, if you have like somebody to go to the gym with on days you don't want to go you still have to go out because of that social pressure yeah um i think publicly stating your goals as well can be helpful at times too um so for example like posting like telling your friends and family oh i'm going to run a marathon for example that kind of puts positive peer pressure on you that you have to do it um and then i think in relation to decision making changing your environment helps um like, for example, if you're trying to give up a habit, you can't do something if it's not there. For example, if you're trying to eat healthier, just don't buy. Get rid of the junk food. Yeah, exactly. Don't like don't put yourself under pressure to have to um, to have to follow it, like just try and um, avoid it before it even happens, essentially. Um, and then I this is a big part of our workshop. It works for children, but I think it also works for adults is the importance of gamification I think when you turn stuff into a game, it makes it more enjoyable. For example, you can set up a competition with your friends of who can hit the target first. Um, Fitbit's the perfect example, I think. Um, that's yeah. the whole premise of Fitbit, I think. like They use games, basically, like how many steps did you do? Um, and then, yeah, just basically everything starts out conscious. Uh, the aim is to make it unconscious. So... When you first start going to the gym or when you first start exercising running whatever uh it's going to be difficult you have to consciously push yourself to do it but if you continuously do it over and over again then it becomes routine and when it's routine you're not even aware sometimes when you're in the gym it's just in your timetable it's unconscious and that's what you want um yeah and when routines place then motivation doesn't really matter essentially Mm. um
0: yeah, because I was about to, I, I, what I was thinking was, you know, while you were saying that, I don't know, you kind of maybe semi-answered that question, but it was about, you know, that conscious versus unconscious. I, I know the way, the last time we spoke, we spoke about um, flow state and obviously how, and and this is a thing, is there different types of habits in a sense that, you know, you have like, consciously you try and develop a habit because, um you're trying to as you said improve your lifestyle be it go to the gym more eat better stop smoking drink less whatever it is um but is is it the same thing would you also say it's a habit when it's sort of it becomes a habit unconsciously just because you do it all the time so for sports athletes for example a lot of their technique in playing the game and the skills that they developed over time they do without thinking technically a habit and they do it you know on routine in the moment in the game when's required, but that's not a habit they've consciously developed. Well, I suppose they have because they've been trying to get better at the game. But it's a habit that is there. But is that is that in the same bracket in a sense, or is this flow state a different area of? Psychology? I think
1: I I think flow and and habits are two different things. Um, okay. Habits again. This goes back to what we were discussing before. I think flow state is almost a sense of mindlessness. It's Mm -hmm. where you're essentially not aware of the moment, but you are producing great results. While I think what I mean by habits and routine is that. It's that predictability again, it's basically making it predictable for your brain consciously. You might not want to start going to the gym or you might not want to uh, stop eating junk food. But -hmm. if you consciously continuously apply that, then it eventually becomes unconscious okay that's a different way um and it won't always be unconscious like for example if you go to the gym every day for a year like on day 282 there will probably be a day where you're like i don't want to yeah, go you're still like day, i don't want to be it, there but the point is it's easier um it's not like you have no awareness of the situation you do have an awareness of the situation but it's just easier um that's mm. what i kind of mean and- i i answer the question
0: that does, no, it does, it does, because I think that's just one that everyone always thinks sports athletes um and the flow, and is that a habit and things like that? The other thing that I know is very i don't well it's I suppose it's it's relevant to everyone, but I think it is one it is an area that you know it is I suppose it's a habit um that um probably crops up with athletes a lot more than most is the whole idea of superstitions, and you know the way like you always hear about athletes doing certain things as a routine and they'll say they've done it their entire career and it's a habit now and they feel like they cannot perform unless they follow this routine and these habits and some of them are completely innocuous some of them probably have absolutely no bearing on their performance but it's entirely a mental thing because by following the routine they get their mind in the right place ahead of an event or ahead of a game is that you know where do they fit into all of that
1: um so i would account that as very very important um i was actually reading about something related to this recently um that, that's very very important because when you're coming up to a big competition or a big event what you want what your brain wants is to treat it like any other event like mm. or all of the training or all of the practice that you've done to that date and so what a uh, minor routine such as maybe stretching before you go in, for example, um, does is it creates predictability. Your brain is then told that this is no different to any other event Yeah. because, um, I'm going to talk about this at a later date, but it goes back to the CBT again. If you're in a high pressure situation, right? Everybody knows you don't want to be worried. Okay. Like worry basically causes, uh, releases of hormones in your body that, cause you to basically damage your performance mm-hmm. but you also don't want to be excited you don't want to think you're going to win because excitement and worry basically are the same physical sensations so what you want to do is you want to be calm you want to be in the middle like when you're maybe trying to sink a push, maybe when you're trying to take a kick in the last minute a penalty you want to be calm that's the state mm-hmm. you want to be in and the way you can achieve that calm is by having as much routine as possible beforehand you don't want it to be anything different but the downfall of that then is that when you have a certain uh routine or superstition you need to be able to adapt if that's not possible because that happens sometimes like for example maybe you have a lucky something that you might kiss before a sporting event you need to be able to adapt that if that's not there you can still perform as well so yeah. you need a certain amount of cognitive flexibility but at the same time it's good to have those routines it's fine uh, because what that does is it calms your emotions your mental health your nervous system essentially to make you perform better
0: yeah because I, I suppose it's weird because i was saying i have so many well not so many but i can i can relate to that kind of like you know almost totally unnecessary you know need for uh, maintaining habits like it's you know down to the silliest things i remember being you know the year actually we were most successful my my football club and for every single game even when my parents would travel there it was actually during covid it was during 2020 so at the time i was in dublin and i didn't see my parents that often day to day or during the weeks because i was staying in my apartment and trying to avoid contact but then even as things opened up and sport got back i still stayed up in dublin but i had this weird routine where for every single game up until the final Uh, I used to drive myself, even when my parents were going, and I'd always used to travel with my parents, and also drive a totally different way that wasn't necessarily any quicker, but it was just the way I always did it. And I remember then on the day of the final, um, it just so happened that, you know, I was down in the village, um, I was staying with my parents, my girlfriend was over, so it just made most sense to go with them. And I up until the night before I, ne- I got in a big almost a row with my parents because I said actually I think I'm just going to drive to Dublin just for the sake of being able to drive that exact same route on the day of the final just because I my, my head needs that. Uh, ultimately I didn't because I got talked out of it saying it's absolutely ridiculous and thankfully it didn't change the result we won in the end but I remember how anxious I felt going to bed that night before because I just felt that as you said it, our brain wants to be in that you know, wants everything to be easier and more predictable as best it can, and for me, that was I felt almost gonna throw up uh, throw me off, and it's it's another thing I've always had where I used to wear braces when I was younger, so I always wore gum shields and um, playing sport, even when I was like quite young, um, you know, my early teens, and then even after I got rid of the braces, and you know, it is m- meant to be mandatory you wear gum shields, um, but a lot of players don't, a lot of players keep it in their sock, they don't actively wear it during the game and i remember but i always have and i've always just bit, felt comfortable putting a gum shield in before a match starts and then the day before our our match one of our matches last year or not the day before two days before um i couldn't find my gum shit it was gone it was lost or it got i think it got you know i'd met left in a match and i was so disorientated and anxious and stressed i remember my, i i had to search every you know myself and my mom were like searching the like yellow pages for someone in ireland that could make a gum shield and i got the properly formed ones i just that's another thing that had to be properly formed one from a dentist and to find someone who could make it in the space of a week get it ready for me and i remember i had to drive down to carlo and i had to pay quite a lot of money for it in short notice to get it done and purely a totally unnecessary didn't need to be done probably added extra stress trying to get it done to me in the week of a match but just so that on the day of the match everything felt the same and my brain could rest it's funny how those little habits um have such power over you but as you said actually have quite a big importance and superstitions aren't necessarily a bad thing
1: it goes back to what we said in the last one that it's essentially a sports microcosm of life that basically, yes. Good to have routine um it's what that routines like when you were speaking about that dan bigger um his the welsh kicker his routine before he takes a kick comes to mind but um but yeah it goes back to it's the same thing as life that basically yes it's nice to have predictability you should try and have a degree of predictability um but you need to be aware that you can't control everything and so how you react to that situation is up to you and mm. so you should be able to essentially adapt yeah Um, And yeah, I just want to, again, repeat that, like, when routines in place, motivation isn't really needed. Um, And I know we're going to discuss in the next podcast motivation. um, But there are certain situations where you do need motivation. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in the next
0: podcast. Exactly. So yeah, so just to kind of wrap up then, Christy. uh, So What you're saying is, is that for the average listener, you know, someone who isn't a sports athlete, but wants to kind of maybe better their lifestyle, get, you know, maybe increase their, you know, their lifestyle, improve their lifestyle in a certain area. What you're saying is there is validity to an extent um, what some of these uh, self-help books are. And I know you've referenced a few of them. We can even just put the names in the show notes just for anyone who's interested. But what you're saying is what's more important is actually applying the advice whichever one you decide to read for it to be worthwhile because they all kind of share the same kind of themes and ideas but the problem is is that people as we mentioned these are frameworks so it's about how people apply these frameworks and actually stick to these frameworks is actually going to you know result in developing habits developing a solid routine more so than actually just you know it it, you know just you know more so than just actually no it's going to tell you some major advice that you didn't realize it's going to change your life on
1: on top of that i think the big issue is people think they're all different but they're not (laughs) as well yes just to clarify that you don't need to buy 10 of them if you buy 10 of them it'll say the same thing as one of them
0: fair fair that's fair Okay, so I think, you know, I think that wraps up this episode. I think uh, what's interesting is this is definitely going to be an interesting one, you know, and a challenge, I think, for yourself, Christy, to kind of toe the line between, you know, that academic head that, you know, an academic background that you come from and then trying to, you know, grasp some sort of scientific basis behind, you know, some of the self-help advice that we're reading. But as we said, in, in this area of sports psychology, there is some validity to it and there is you know some application for it and also it's an area that is still quite under researched and under um covered by uh, academics at this point and so there is probably still a lot more scientific uh, information to be gathered from sports psychology as the field continues to grow so i suppose if that's it then what we'll do is as i said we'll keep what we'll do is we'll put all those books in the show notes as we said the most important thing is a lot of them are the same a lot of them pull from the exact same tips and tricks but what's important is for you guys to actually adopt them and actually try and implement them into your life to actually see benefit and as always guys make sure to like share the podcast with your friends leave a review on any of your favourite podcast platforms if you like Um, and um, we'll be back on next time to cover some of these other areas of sports performance and uh, psychology that we hope we can contextualise in a way that you can find benefit in your day to day life but um That's it from me, Uh, that's it from Christy, and until next time, mind yourself.